Welcome to ID the Future, the podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm your host, Todd Butterfield. Perhaps because life is so common, it's easy to lose sight of how tenuous it is. Life depends on a delicate balance of forces. Tip that balance, and death is inevitable. Well, that's one of the opening quotes in a recent article found at evolutionnews.org. This and another article were written by Steve Lofman, who is reflecting on Howard Glicksman's 81-part series on Evolution News called The Designed Body. Now, Mr. Lofman is a consultant in the growing field of enterprise architecture, dealing with the design of very large, very complex composite information systems that are orchestrated to perform specified tasks in demanding environments. Steve Lofman says... The human body beats any humanly designed large complex system in terms of complexity and sophistication and beats it by light years. He's here on the show today to help us unpack some of those human complexities by digging into the first article called The Designed Body, Irreducible Complexity on Steroids Equals Exquisite Engineering. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Lofman. Happy to be here. Well, I think you're absolutely right. We are surrounded by life everywhere you look, and thus we're tempted to take our body's operations for granted. So to get things started, generally speaking, could you please explain basically who is Dr. Glicksman and what was his 81-part series about? Dr. Glicksman is a, uh, first of all, he's become a good friend. and He's a really, really nice guy. He works as a hospice physician. So he, uh, and in fact, he's sort of a troubleshooter. He deals with the hard cases, the people who don't respond to the traditional repair mechanisms that doctors have at their disposal. So he deals with the tough cases. So he, he's an expert in what it takes for a human body to survive and how the various dysfunctions and diseases in a body will foul up the works and cause death. I see. And what so was his that, general... That, that offers a really interesting perspective on how the body functions. Uh, Dr. Glicksman uh, discusses 40, four zero interrelated chemical and physiological parameters that the human body must control in order to sustain life. These are things like Oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, water, sodium, potassium, glucose, calcium, iron, ammonia, albumin, proteins, insulin, glucagon, thyroid hormone. It it just goes on and on. It's Mm -hmm. it's really an incredible series, and it shows how all these things are interrelated and necessary to sustain life. He must go into a lot of detail to get 81 parts in the series. Well, from that, you drew seven insights of your own from all of Dr. Glicksman's writings, and perhaps we could call your article an executive summary. Let's touch on them, shall we? Are you ready? Yes. All right. Number one, you said life can only exist when swimming upstream against uncharitable natural forces. Do you mean that our body is always fighting something? Absolutely. It's fighting uh, equilibrium. We're continually expending energy to uh, avoid reaching equilibrium with our environment, which is a condition we call death. Aye, aye, aye. That sounds formidable. It's a good thing we're still sitting up straight. So that's number one, and and I'm sure that 
you could go on in a lot of detail about that. Number two, a complex body plan, you say, places enormous demands on survival. So here you reference our body's systems within systems within systems. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, so I, I think the salient point here, and, and I think what people really need to take away from this, is that when you have a single-celled organism, life is a lot simpler. You must live in a substrate or in an environment where that single cell can get from the environment all the raw materials it needs to survive. Whatever those are, it has to get them from the environment directly. Right. And it can shunt its waste back into that environment. Right. But when you create a large body, a complex body plan, the cells don't have direct contact with the environment anymore. Okay. And so there are a bunch of what I think of as engineering problems that have to be solved. So when the cells are physically isolated from the environment, then they need a way to get all of those raw materials. So your body has to deliver raw materials to every one of the approximately 37 trillion cells in your body. And it has to take the waste from those cells and exit that out of the body because the cells aren't touching the environment. At least most of them aren't. So it's kind of like going from the skin all the way down to the organs and then back out somehow. That's right. Yeah, so think of a, a cell in your spleen needs oxygen. How's it going to get oxygen? Okay, exactly. Well, so number three, Goldilocks or death. This insight of yours notes specifically 40 interrelated chemicals that you mentioned and physiological parameters. You mentioned oxygen, estrogen, kidney function, and you referenced something called the Goldilocks principle. What is the Goldilocks principle? Everyone knows Goldilocks. It's got to be just right. Howard Glicksman in his series talks about real numbers have real consequences. So if your body temperature drops by a couple of degrees, you're in serious trouble. If your body temperature is a couple of degrees too high, you're in serious trouble. So the functions of the body have to maintain some really tight tolerances. And that's a really interesting set of problems when you have so many tolerances in so many parameters. And they all seem to work. Your and example, they all seem to work. The example you gave is cellular respiration or how cells get oxygen. Mr. Lofman, what are some of the things that have to cooperate in order for cellular respiration to work? This is a really interesting example. I wanted to include at least one example from Dr. Glicksman's work in my review just to give people a feel for what this involves. So every cell in your body must fight diffusion and osmosis in order to maintain its internal volume and to manage the chemical balance that's necessary for life. To do that, it has to have energy. So the primary source of energy in the human body and in, in most body plans is glucose, sugar. And uh, in order to break sugar down, this glucose down into, and to generate, basically to release the energy in glucose, there's a chemical formula that has to be processed. It takes glucose, oxygen, and in a series of about 20 plus steps, it turns the glucose and oxygen into carbon dioxide and water. And in doing so, it releases a bunch of energy that the cell can then use to maintain its internal content. Okay, so... Marvelous. 
it's an amazing process. I've been studying this a little bit lately, and it's, it's really astounding how hard it is to do that chemical process. I talk about it a little bit more in my article. We, we won't go into it right now. But the point is that in order for this to work, I have to have oxygen supplied to every cell in my body. And that presents yet another problem because my body can store glucose. We all know that that's true. Yep. But the body cannot store oxygen. So where's the oxygen going to come from? It has to be supplied continuously. My body must be gaining oxygen in the right quantities at the right times to meet the demand of the body at any given time. So this is why when you work out, you're working hard, you have to breathe faster and breathe heavier because your body is demanding more oxygen. Amazing. So, and we know that if, for instance, we don't get oxygen within a couple of minutes, our bodies will die. We simply can't store it. And so there's no other way to get oxygen. So tentative and yet so dependable at the same time. Yeah, it's amazing that it works at all, much less so well. It certainly is. So your insight number four was survival depends on specialization, integration, and coordination. Mr. Lofman, people spend millions to try to make their organizations efficient, yet via rather obvious intelligent design, our own bodies have everything set up right where it needs to be. What are some of the aspects of this carefully balanced interaction? So... The idea here is that your body has to specialize to perform all these tasks and that those specialized components in your body have to integrate their activities and coordinate in order to make all this work. Mm -hmm. So how does your body know that it needs more oxygen? How does your diaphragm know that it needs to work harder to pull more air into your lungs? Good point. Another issue with this respiration question is, how does the oxygen get to all those cells? Well, you need blood, right? You need a transport mechanism. And, of course, oxygen doesn't dissolve well in water. Hmm. So you need a complex iron-based protein called hemoglobin. So now I need a whole harvesting system to find iron from my environment, acquire it, store it, process it, turn it into hemoglobin, and dump it into the blood so that oxygen can get to where it needs to be. So what you see is... Eventually, you know, as you unfold all this, the human body has somewhere around 200 specialized types of cells. Hmm. Each one of those has to be in the right places doing the right job. Your hemoglobin's not in your spleen. It's not in your toe. Right. It's in the bloodstream where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So as you go through this, for instance, the circulatory system, you need all the parts of the circulatory system. There are other physical problems that have to be overcome. There's inertia, there's friction, and there's gravity. And so your circulatory system has to have a pump, it has to have the right blood pressure, it has to have the right flow properties to all parts of the body. Awesome. Yeah, it's an amazing engineering feat. The more I learn about it, the more astounded I become. And we barely scratched the surface. Well, let's jump to number five. Every one of the body's control systems is irreducibly complex. And just for me personally, irreducible complexity is one of my favorite topics. So here in your insight number five, you mentioned control systems. This one's also complex to explain. Maybe the listeners should read your article to really get their head around it. But what are some of the components of the control systems in our body just so we can be amazed all over again. 
Well, the engineers in the crowd will get this right away, but I think it's important for other people to wrap their minds around it because this stuff is happening in your body all the time and you never think about it. So a control system requires at least five components. It requires sensors. So you have to be able to measure what you're trying to control to know whether you need more or less. You need data integrators because you have lots of sensors. So all that data from all those sensors has to be integrated in some way. Mm. You have to have control logic. What are the parameters you're trying to control to? What is the body temperature that your body has to be at in order to function? And where does that come from? Effectors. We have to be able to modify what's being controlled. So you have to have something that can change the factor that you're controlling. And then you need signaling. So the sensors have to talk to the data integrators. The control logic has to talk to the effectors. And different body systems use different signaling systems, of course. So now to go just a little bit deeper into the effectors part, an effector has to have a receptor. It has to have an organ or tissue or some other body system that can affect the factor. It has to have harvesters if it's pulling chemicals from the environment. And it has to have garbage collection. So if there are any unneeded chemical byproducts like there is in respiration with carbon dioxide, a lot of times those byproducts are toxic. So they have to be removed efficiently or the body, again, will die. So every one of these control systems must be dynamic enough to maintain the tolerances needed in the time frames that are needed. So, for example, since we're talking about respiration, if your oxygen control system took 10 minutes to increase your oxygen levels, but your body dies in four minutes without more oxygen, you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. So the dynamics, this is a control system problem for every control system. You have to be able to manage just the right levels at just the right times. You know, what's interesting is I'm thinking about what you're describing besides just the wow factor is there is something that isn't completely independent, and that's our decision to do something about the signals that our body is telling us. Because at some point, we may have to get food or drink water or whatever. Right. So that's a great example because your body is telling you that you need something. Now, how do you know what you need? How does your body know that getting water will satisfy this signal that's mm. coming in? Well, some of that's probably learned, but well, we'll talk about this in the next series about how to bootstrap all these systems. But this level of control and the way these control systems are interconnected is really mind-boggling. I really want people to walk away with an appreciation for how complicated this is mm -hmm. and how well it works. Well, let's get into number six because it just gets better. The body, you said, is a coherent mesh of interdependent systems. And here you summarize some of Dr. Glixman's analysis of our body's control systems meshing coherently with other systems, even though they can't see or control those systems, even across our entire life cycle, this continues to happen. Is that correct? Yes. And yes. flawlessly? Uh, well, for the most we part. hope. <laughs> Yeah, and when, when it's not flawless, we go doctor and try right. to figure out how to repair it, right? So, and it turns out, in fact, that our bodies have all kinds of error correction, failure prevention, threat detection, defense systems mm. to help prevent those issues from causing death. 
or at least debilitating issues. So the way I like to say this is that these interlocking systems, you know, we have to control at least the 40 that Dr. Glucksman talks about. I think there are actually probably quite a few more mm. that are much more complicated and hard to explain and which I don't even know about. So, but coherence, this sort of coherence across all these systems requires all the right parts in all the right places, doing all the right things at all the right times, mm -hmm. in all the right quantities, at all the right speeds, and they have to do it together as a whole. That's a really That's awesome. tall order. That's awesome. Yeah, to do that, and I just want to go into this a little bit more because I, I think this is, I'm really pleased to be able to learn about this. I have to have the right relative locations, sizes, shapes, orientations, capacities, and dynamics. It has to have the right fabrication specifications, assembly instructions, and operating processes. They have to be integrated physically, mechanically, electrically, chemically. They have to communicate. There's multiple types of signaling going on. And then, as I talked about, there's all this error correction and threat detection and defense mechanisms. It's more than just elegant design. The word I like is exquisite. This is absolutely off the charts, exquisite engineering. It is indeed. In fact, I find myself, when I'm having discussions with others, all I have to do is look at just my hand, and I marvel at the intricacy and the exquisite design, and I could go on forever from there as a conversation starter just with what I see in front of me. You know, your seventh insight, Mr. Loffman, is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and I feel like that is actually a good place to not continue because you kind of get into that into the next series. Is that right? We're going to look a little more on Darwinian expectations and some of the flaws? Yeah, I think there's maybe just one or two points to make here, and, okay. and we'll, we'll make this really quick. This notion of the whole being more than the sum of the parts is a defining characteristic of engineered systems. This is true of all engineered systems, and as far as I know, only engineered systems. And we know from our experience that we're not only functionally from a body perspective more than the sum of our parts, we have a human experience that is way beyond our bodies. Right. So the mind, thought, language, love, creativity, industry, music, exactly. art, these things are what we live for. These are what make us human, not our bodies. And they're not explained by our bodies. Good point. So our body enables those things, but it does not determine them. And so this is one of the great mysteries of life. It certainly is, and you know what? It was worth letting you explain that because it was a good capstone on the, the seven insights. Steve Loffman, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing about this article. You did write another one. It's called The Design Body Continued. Coherence wins, gradualism fails. Do you have time to stick around for another podcast on that topic? Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much. Until then, this has been Todd Butterfield for ID the Future. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.